Hey, this is Ty just jumping in here before the show to point out that this is a great moment for City on the Edge podcast. Thanks to generous help from David Edwards from New Mexico Tea Company, we have managed to get our very first filmed episode up on a YouTube channel. That's right. You can now check out our episode where we attempt to eat various uh, hot chilies while talking New Mexico chili history with historian and author Dave DeWitt. You can go to our YouTube channel, City on the Edge Podcast, search it, uh, and you can actually see it all happen before your very eyes. So thank you for joining us, and now on with the show. We always start this the same way. It's really irritating and strange, but uh, we basically just see City on the Edge over and over again until we get sick of hearing our voices, and then we start. So, you can say it anyway. So you can say it or not say it. That was a Star Trek episode. City on the Edge of Forever, yes. Yeah, it's a fantastic episode, too. Like, it's one of their best, right? Like, he thought they could City on the Edge. City on the Edge. City on the Edge. City on the Edge of New Mexico. City on the Edge of Santa Fe, City on the Edge of Bernalillo <laughs> County. City on the Edge of Hash. <laughs> Welcome back to City on the Edge podcast, the podcast where we tell Albuquerque stories. Uh, I'm Ty Bannerman. Joining I'm Nora me is, Hickey. I'm Mike Smith. And uh, joining us today is a very special guest, Dave DeWitt, a.k.a. the Pope of Peppers himself. Um, welcome. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. And we are going to be talking about uh, green chili and other varieties of, uh, of uh, chili-like substances. We're going to be drinking a little green chili wine. It exists. It's good. I think let's, let's try it. Let's toast it. And Cheers. Take a sip and let's give our impressions. Let's start with the expert. Dave, what do you think of green chili wine? It's very wine? mild. You can hardly even taste the chilies in it. True. And uh, my experience is that um, nothing can improve a mediocre wine. <laughs> All right. And, so, uh, or beer, for that matter. Green chili wine has been roasted. Oh. All right. What about you yeah. guys? What do you think? It seems that it has the flavor, but not the spice. Oh, interesting. Well, and it's rather sweet. It's very mm-hmm. sweet. Very sweet. Yeah. I like it better than most wine. You know, that really? I, that I, that I, yeah, Interesting. Yeah. Well, it's like, you know, it's not my, that's not my drink, you know. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like wine, you know, I'm just, I'm just not uh, what is high your class drink? enough beer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, um, but uh, I, I like, I think green chili improves anything. Everything I've ever scoffed at that has green chili in it, I'm like, I like this, <laughs> I, li- I like this better now that it has green chili in it. Okay. Well, we've got the, uh, the spectrum of responses. But this guy's covered. the expert. I'm just well, uh, a philistine it's just an opinion. likes to eat and drink. Well, let's uh, let's go ahead and talk about uh, talk about you, Dave. Um, so you are the uh, the Pope of Peppers. You are a food historian and chili expert. You have published many books. Uh, how many books have you published? It's in the fifties. In the fifties. Wow. And we've wow. got um, the Pepper Garden, the Hot Sauce Bible, the Chili Pepper Encyclopedia, the Spicy Food Lovers Bible, and the Complete Chili Pepper Book. Yes, and. Uh, I'll have a, no, a new book out uh, next year um, by UNM Press. Okay. And it's called uh, Chili Peppers, A World History. Oh, excellent. Oh, cool. It's another food history book, but specifically on chili peppers. And it's a combination of historical research and my experiences traveling around the world um, investigating chilies, I guess you'd say. And when does that come out? It'll be out in the fall of next year, so about a year from now. Awesome. Great. It takes university presses a little bit longer to publish sure. than standard presses do, but that's okay. All right, so let's, uh, I feel like we need to start with the name Pope of Peppers. How does one become a Pope of Peppers? <laughs> um, it has to do with publicity and media people and, and finding a handle that they liked. And uh, Dennis Hayes, who was uh, working for Crossing Press and then um, Ten Speed Press, um, dubbed me that and then the media picked it up and uh it stuck so i mean i'd like to say i invented it and and self-promoted but it was just out of my hands by that time and so i just go with it doesn't matter 
And what got you into writing about uh, Chile in the first place? Oh, I, when I moved to New Mexico in 1974, I came out in July of 74 on a vacation and just fell in love with the state and uh, had to move. So I moved in November, and I had some goals about the move. I had never been west of the Mississippi until July of 74, and it was like a whole new world, and it was like being in another country, but they still spoke English. So it was... Uh, and I, my goal was that I would start my freelance writing career, and I, all I had to do was find some subjects, and I, w- I like to write about food and travel. And so I started writing about New Mexico food and travel and getting published in, um, you know, weekly newspapers. You've been that route. I have. And uh, uh, I realized that hardly anything was really known about uh, chili peppers. I mean, mm. there had been one book Gene Andrews wrote of a big format book um, by the University of Texas Press on chili peppers. And it was a good book, don't get me wrong, but it was superficial mm. in a lot of ways. And I thought, well, I can, I can certainly use this as a starting point. And uh, uh, I ran into um, Nancy Gerlock. She and her husband, Jeff, had, had the first video rental cassette place in really? town. Yeah. Ugh. And uh, I had a, uh, there, there were no personal VCRs at that time, but I had a um, three-quarter inch VCR. And, uh, and they had some of those, some uh, cassette tapes that size. And then um, they were in the lead on uh, the home units and that kind of stuff. And uh, so I became friends with her and she was a registered dietitian and um, loved chilies like I did, and so we decided that we'd write, write a book together. Mm-hmm. And awesome. uh, uh, I found an agent, and uh, uh, the agent sold um, the Fiery Cuisines was the, uh, the title of the book. It was just a survey of world chili peppers and recipes awesome. with them. Not too much food history, mostly just a cookbook. Mm. And uh, came out in hardcover by... Um, you see, it was um, St. Martin's Press, and it did very well. There was a British edition, um, and then many paperback editions of that book. And um, then I went on to, with Nancy, we did 10 books together before she retired. Um, and uh, they were good sellers. I mean, mm-hmm. I, we weren't getting rich or anything, but we mm-hmm. were making money, and it was interesting and challenging and uh, fun. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, we just started cranking them out. <laughs> and uh, I would, just when you think that there's nothing else you can write about chili peppers, something happens. Mm-hmm. Something and, emerges. Right. There, there's another mm-hmm. angle that you look at it, and it's just sort of like, um, I mean. That does remind me of a question I have. Okay. What's the biggest chili scandal that you've covered or heard well, about? I don't know that it's a scandal, but um, the um, – misnaming of chilies mm-hmm. as hatch chilies oh, is right. probably the one I've, I've been in court about. Well, I've, <gasps> I've, I'm an expert witness on that subject. Really? And so when I, um, when I went back as the attorneys, it's the Hatch Chili Association versus the Hatch Chili Company. Mm. And it's oh. still in state court. And I got a call from the attorneys the other day if, asking me if I was still on the team because I wrote a report that went to... Um, the Patent and Trademark Office um, a few years ago, and uh, I said, "Sure, I'll, I'll, for, you know, for three hundred dollars an hour, I'll do it." Okay, yeah, <laughs> I'll do yeah. it. Too. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I charged them witness. that just because that was what my uh, attorney was charging me at the time mm-hmm. for another unrelated thing, and I just thought, well, I can sort of balance this. <laughs> well, and, go ahead. Well, I, I just was going to point out as, as part of our tasting today, I thought we'd we'd start maybe at the uh, the bottom. Uh, we have a can of Hatch Company chili. Uh, Mom, do you mind bringing that out, the, the can of chili and maybe some forks? We can give it a try. And you can tell us about the difference between chili from Hatch and Hatch chili. Okay, well, the problem is is that um, there's no variety of chili called Hatch. Right, okay. So uh, what are called Hatch chilies are four different varieties that are intermingled or however you would like to say it um and uh so that's very confusing to people Mm -hmm. um 
and yeah. Hatch is more of a marketing term than anything else now because oh, wow. Hatch was easier to say than New Mexico green chili. Right. I mean, it's one one word versus four words. Now, would that be the proper name, you think, for, uh, yeah. for green chili? Yeah, I mean, uh, that's generically New Mexico green chilies, and they have uh, uh, number six, four. Um, they have Sandia. They have um, Big Jim. Mm. And these, any of those could be Hatch. Right. And they're all New Mexican green chilies, but... They were all developed, all those varieties were developed by New Mexico State University. Right. So um, hash is just a confusing term for, for chili peppers. And I did a series of lectures um, at the Central Markets in Texas. Mm -hmm. um, and my first, because uh, they have hatch chili festivals with roasting and, uh, and sales and all that kind of stuff. And so um, I would start my lecture by saying there's no such thing as a hatch chili. Right. It's a misnomer that has become a marketing term. And uh, I mean, there's no Hatch Valley. It's the Rincon. There's Valley. no Hatch Valley. There is no Hatch Valley. <gasps> You're blowing my mind. I, I know. thought I knew what I was talking about. It's here. the Rincon Valley. Yeah. And then that, that's no next way. to that's next to Doña Ana County. You know. Uh huh. And so um, it's it's confusing because the the Hatch Chili Association wants to limit um, the Hatch chilies to mm. um, eight. Eight different growers, none of whom are in Doña Ana County. Oh, really? Oh. Yeah. So it's uh, it's they're in Socorro County. That's very strange. It's, it is very very strange, and they don't even include Luna County, mm -hmm. um, which is another big um, huh. chili growing operation. And so um, that's what I was researching and testifying about, and that kind of stuff. Um, and um, these, this, uh, these these chilies, even from the Hatch Chili Company, even though I'm technically working for them. Um, that, doesn't uh -huh. mean, that doesn't mean I have to like their product. Right. It's <laughs> <laughs> good you have integrity. And uh, most of these, not too bad. Yeah. Yeah. It's okay. I was expecting we, worse, honestly. Like, the, I, uh, I haven't eaten them in a long time. These chilies generally are not roasted and peeled. They're, mm. they're not roasted. They put the chilies in a lye bath. Uh-huh. L-Y-E. Whoa. To take the skins off. Okay. Because it... It's faster, easier. They don't have to have the roasters, right. all that kind of stuff. And so generally, these are de-skinned uh, with lye, mm -hmm. which is completely washed off. Well, that's and good. The amount, yeah. of, the, the amount of lye in here is probably almost indetectable. Okay. But Glad still, it's not afterwards. roasted, and you don't have the roasted flavor. Right, right. So, um, but the Hatch Chili Company predates and has um, trademarked. But they don't have a plant patent. Oh, okay. Okay. And that's what the Hatch Chili Association is trying to do is get a plant patent that says Hatch Chilies are a specific um, agricultural variety. Hmm. Right. Okay. And they're not. Yes. So they're saying it's not just grown in a certain place, but actually a, a specific variety that's separate from others. Right. Okay. But it's not. And it's not. So, so that's basically what I've been Oh, wow. Uh, writing about. And when I, when I researched and realized that I had been taken in mm -hmm. by um, this whole thing <laughs> Big in my hatch. early days of writing, I, I <laughs> didn't, hadn't done enough research. But then I was being paid to do research, and so I really got serious about it. And every, it's a big uproar and controversy. Right. And, um, wow. Uh, but I, I just like to be botanically accurate right. and, you know. Uh, horticulturally accurate about awesome. what's going on with this, and uh, um, for a for a commercially manufactured product, this isn't bad. It, right. it does have yeah, yeah. It has it's a, not as bad as I was a, expecting. A low medium heat scale, mm -hmm. and uh, the flavor is okay, mm -hmm. and the texture is not bad either. Right. Um, so, and I was under the impression that they weren't necessarily grown in New Mexico, although this is. Certified product of New Mexico. Uh, it, so it, they are grown in New Mexico. Okay, so they are, in fact. Right. Um, I've never eaten it like salsa. salsa. <laughs> yeah, neither have I. This yeah. is, uh, it's not bad. Uh, no, it's yeah. not bad at all. It's great. Um, and uh, I would say if you probably made enchilada sauce, a green enchilada mm -hmm. sauce out of this, um, it might not be detectable mm -hmm. from others that were roasted in your backyard and all that kind of stuff. If you're hard up, you know, if you're in some other state maybe or you live in uruguay or something yeah there you go then <laughs> yeah. this is probably okay uh, that yeah so, so we're not going to completely diss this it's better 
than the wine. Oh, <laughs> Ooh, wow. dang. That, that wine is going to take a beating again. today, I think. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> so uh, let's, uh, let's back up uh, time-wise here. Let's go back to uh, where, where does Chile come from originally? Where does well, New Mexico Chile come from? Uh, New Mexico uh, Chile was introduced by the Spanish about 400 years ago. Okay. Um, they say Juan de Oñate expedition mm-hmm. uh, introduced it and uh, they said that the the natives, meaning uh, Native Americans, mm-hmm. had no chili, so we gave them seeds. Uh, that was in Juan de Ilonarte's um, journal that he kept. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Wow. And uh, so there were no chilies in New Mexico um, that were native until the Spanish brought them up from Mexico. Mm-hmm. And... In the early days, there was no rhyme, no reason to the chilies. I mean, they weren't a specific variety. The pods could be any size, any heat, and uh, so it was sort of haphazard. But starting around the turn of the 20th century, um, New Mexico State University um, started with Fabian Garcia, um, he was the first Hispanic graduate of New Mexico State right. University, and he ran um, uh, their horticultural experiment, experiment station. Mm-hmm. And so he started um, breeding chilies to get a standardized variety, and in 1910 came out with um, New Mexico Number no. 9, right. which was the first um, chili that had been genetically engineered through, not, not a GMO chili, of right. course, mm-hmm. but through st- standard... Um, practices of breeding um, any kind of a plant. Mm-hmm. Luther Burbank started this whole thing. Okay. So he was following up with chilies, what Luther Burbank did with a number of different beans and things like that to standardize the variety so the farmers could know what they were growing and they would be all similar size, similar heat level, and similar yield. Um, uh, and he was... Um, He's going to be honored by the national. Let me see what it is. I can't can't remember the exact yeah, it's title. Like the Agricultural Hall of Fame. Or something. Agricultural Hall of Fame. Yeah. Yes, in Kansas, uh, for doing this. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he joins other members that have been so honored in the Hall of Fame, like Thomas Jefferson. Right. Um, uh, there were three presidents: um, Abraham Lincoln and George Washington. All are in that Hall of Fame, mm-hmm. um, as well as. Um, a lot of famous uh, horticulturists going back in, in cool. U.S. history. And, then and so th- that's really a, quite an honor for the mm-hmm. state of New Mexico and for Hispanics in New Mexico. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was from Chihuahua, right? He, he, grew, he was born in Chihuahua, um, moved to the United States, um, um, went to uh, New Mexico College of Agriculture oh, and oh, okay. something else. Mm-hmm. Um, that was the precursor to New mm-hmm. Mexico State right. University. Oh, okay. And then New Mexico State University became a land-grant college. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, he's, um, he was the father of chilies in New Mexico. Right. Awesome. And, and most of the varieties that we have today, like the ones that I bought, Sandia, uh, Lumbre, they're, they're at least descended from New Mexico number nine to right. some capacity. Right, in some okay. capacity, yes. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, Roy Nakayama um, was a famous chili breeder. And, um, of course, Paul Bosland, who's recently retired, is a good friend of mine and a co-author of, I think we've done four books together. Mm. Um, and he's recently retired. I don't know what he's going to be doing from now on, but I'll bet you it's consulting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and uh, so they're, they're looking to replace him, and they have endowed a chair um, at the College of um, Agriculture, Consumer, Science. It's called ACES uh, mm-hmm. for the acronym. Um, but they have a million dollars, which generates enough money to endow a chair, so they'll have a permanent replacement for Paul Bosley. Okay. Mm. So they've done wow. a great job down there of, of doing the that. The chili chair. Yeah, it's exactly what it is. <laughs> um, and uh, so the advances continue, um, and they're almost all done for, uh, to help growers. Mm-hmm. And uh, they've been successful with some, but um, there's some things that you just – can't um, say breed against okay. successfully, like for example, Phytophthora root rot. Uh-huh. Uh, it's a fungus that 
is associated with agriculture all over the world, especially in the Western Hemisphere. And it, it means that you flood the roots with um, uh, too much water, and a fungus grows and eats the roots, essentially. Right, consumes right. the roots, and then you don't have a field anymore. It's mm -hmm. like when somebody flood irrigates their farm, and then there's a thunderstorm after that, and okay. the fields stay wet for oh. a week Overwatering, or so. essentially. Yeah, yeah. yeah essentially. And uh, we don't see that much in home gardens because, you know, water costs money. So right. 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 We'd rather underwater than, than overwater. Mm -hmm. um, and the uh, interesting thing for New Mexico all over in growing is that um, saline soils are a big problem. And we're not just talking about, um, you know, table salt. We're talking about all kinds of chlorides, um, uh, potassium chloride and so some sodium chloride. But... Those are salts, too. And if your soil, I learned this the hard way because I had a, a bed that produced 300 pounds of tomatoes five years ago, and I didn't even get 10 pounds this year. Yes. So, of course, I had my wow. soil tested and found out that my salinity levels were about four times what they should oh, really? be. really? Wow. And so I had a buildup um, of salts, and that interferes with the plant's ability to take up nutrients and water, mm -hmm. uh, for that matter. So... Um, the only way you can solve that is to flood irrigate um, and put one foot of water on your garden and just so all that wow. salts wash out. Mm -hmm. uh, and I've been doing that, and uh, I've been you know, shuddering at my water bills, but I've got, <laughs> I've got to do that. Otherwise, right. I, I'd have to replace everything that was in the... Uh, I'd have to replace all the soil, mm -hmm. and I don't have a front-end loader. So that would be very difficult to do. <laughs> yes. It, it, Okay, we've got some more chili coming here. Oh. We've got some chili here. Let's uh, let's bring it on out. Let's start with a. Let's have some actual chili since we're talking about chili. Um, Can I how ask about the 1904? Oh, you brought different specific rice. Yes. Awesome. I brought a little bag of organic stuff here from a co-op, Freshies of New Mexico. Can I ask a real beginner chili <laughs> sure, question? Of course, you can ask me anything. Um. So is heat determined by the variety, or is it determined through exposure to, I don't know, um, It's sun? about half and half. Uh, chili heat um, uh, is genetic and also environmental. Hmm. And oh. uh, chilies that are stressed by the sun, by the wind, by a lack of water, um, uh, they tend to be hotter. But, yeah, they get uh, mean is what I always heard. Yeah. <laughs> Treat them bad, they get mean. I heard that about the water, but not the rest of it. That's so interesting. Well, it's all it's all environmental. And so we used to think that it was about 90% genetic, and now we think it's about 50% genetic mm. and 50% environmental. Wow. Oh, wow. Like humans. Uh, you know, well, if you... If you Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> the, uh, the heat in chili peppers is... Probably the result of, um, uh, you know, the fact that birds have no response to capsaicin. Mm -hmm. And so the, the seeds pass through birds um, um, intact. Oh. Whereas when mammals eat chili pepper, mm -hmm. they completely digest the seeds and ruin them. So mm -hmm. we, we think that um, the evolution of capsaicin and chili peppers had a lot to do with preventing mammals from eating them. Mm -hmm. Wow. And huh. so... Um, we showed them. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but, that, you, know, you know, you know how things are. It's not all true. Mm -hmm. I mean, we had a cat that would, whenever we were cooking red chili on the stove, it would, it would dip its paw in the cooking chili and oh lick it off. Gosh. And I'd never seen anything like that. I was just totally amazed. Um, and then one year, um, the Department of Game and Fish um, allowed hunters to shoot deer out of season because they were ruining chili fields oh, wow. by eating the plants, including the pods, down to the ground. Wow. So it's mm. not foolproof, uh, no, it's this not. evolutionary. It's not. I mean, when, when an animal gets hungry enough, it's going to eat whatever yeah. it right. possibly eat. Maybe they like it, too. That's weird. Yeah, it's, mm -hmm. it's pretty strange. Yeah, so uh, what but we have here is a, a 1904 chili, a sandia, a lumbre, and then some mysterious red that I, uh, it was neither labeled and, and also I did not ask about it. Hmm. But I just thought we'd try maybe some of these. And so a 1904 chili, is this a... Uh, 
I don't know what 1904 yeah, okay. is. Yeah, okay, I'm kind of curious um, about these varieties. Individual farming operations will do hybrids mm -hmm. and name them something. Um, and when people ask me about them, I've never heard of it. A mm -hmm. Right. I don't, I don't know what that is. I don't know where it came from. Um, most of the time, they are hybrids. Mm -hmm. In other words, they're not specific varieties that breed okay. through every time. Um, it's like if you take a, uh, a collie and, and uh, mate it with a uh, German Shepherd, you're right. going to get a hybrid. Mm -hmm. yeah. And that's a F1 hybrid, they're called. Oh. And by the time you get a variety, it has to be like an F10 or F12. It has to be several, many steps down. Yes. Because mm. um, huh. that's the way you develop a variety that will breed true every time. Um, this, when you get hybrids, you just don't know what the, what the um, results are going to be. Um, and they won't breed true every time. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's not like going back to the original days when the chilies could be any size, any heat, um, any yield. And that kind of stuff. So, but, despite standardization, that's still a part of our chili experience. That kind well, yeah, of, I mean, as, as uh, people hybridize according to their own needs, they do. Yeah, they do, and then they name them something. Okay. And the name might not have anything. I mean, chili nomenclature is is completely confusing anyway. Like right. For example, <laughs> um, the habanero chili is part of a species. Uh, it's called Capsicum chinense, which means from China. Oh. But that's completely huh. wrong. Uh, it's not at all from China. Had nothing to do with China. <laughs> it was just that some breeder in the 1600s named the uh, species that because he had heard that they uh -huh. came from China or something. Oh, like wow. that. And nobody's so ever changed the, it. Yeah. Um, they should be changed, but there's no there's no official organization that can now change a species name. Interesting. Okay. I mean, who, who do you appeal to? Right. I, yeah, I don't even know. Maybe Ukraine. Yeah. There we go. Yeah, they seem to have all the answers. Yeah. So I don't. I mean, I don't know. It's just. Uh, it's just. It's just weird. So how do you want to taste this? Yeah, let's see. And did you um, hear any details about these? Which well, one's the hottest? Okay, the Lumbre is supposed to be extra hot. I believe the Sandia is considered a generally hot. Yes. And then the 194 is considered mild. So, Mom, I wonder if we could get a knife, some knives, and a. And Forks maybe to cut with? Oh, we got forks? Oh, we have Okay. We got spoons. And we can just spoons, try them as the needed. Um, so obviously I didn't I didn't peel these, but they are roasted. So Well, the, the skin's coming off of this. Tree. Exactly. So it should be fine. I was thinking I'd just take one and start eating. Go for it. Whatever Mike, you want to do. do. This is a mild one. Okay, we're going to try a 1904 mild. And the seeds carry the heat, right? No, the seeds, oh. the seeds have no heat in them. They... Um, the, the capsaicin is adsorbed, meaning on the surface, um, and so if when they're, when they're processed, the seeds will seem hot because they're in with the uh, placental, the placental tissue is where the capsaicin is, and it's also where the seeds are. So, okay. um, oh, th they will get adsorbed. So they get oh my gosh! And here coated, this whole time I thought. That the, the seeds, seeds were the are controlling the heat. No, placental tissue. Huh. That's gross. Mm -hmm. <laughs> hey, well, sounds like a repulsive. So far, so great. Yeah, it. like in the 1904. Uh huh. Okay. Okay, I'm gonna go a little bit hotter. You gonna go straight for the sandia? Yeah. I think I'll start with a nice 1904 here. It's good. Very flavorful, but so th mm -hmm. there's not much heat. These are from Sichler, Sichler Farms. Right. Sichler Farms. That's where I buy all my chili. Mm. Oh, gosh. That's and, hot. And don't even think about hatch because these are not grown anywhere near hatch. Right. These are grown five miles from Alabama. <laughs> yes, I was about to say, I know that that's one of the reasons I like them is they're, they're right here practically in town. I think they have a big farm down in Socorro. It's in Los Lunas. Oh I think they have farms in both Los Lunas and Socorro. Just <laughs> this is what's really loud, Mike. <laughs> Not your fault, but <laughs> I just want to warn you that's hot. I know you've tasted a lot of hot things in your life, but he's that's probably got that an sandia. insane tolerance. If he's... Okay. I'm gonna try a little sandia over here. Oh, is that the next one? Sandia is the next level up, right. which you just tried, and you said it was really hot, right? Yeah. Are you okay, Nora? <laughs> you look a little. Yeah. Do we need to get the milk, Nora? I, no, I'm okay. I can't give in yet. Whoever calls for the milk first loses. The milk? the milk? We have milk in the... Uh... This one's not been roasted, so if it's not roasted, you just eat it as is, I guess? You can. You yeah. can, yeah. yeah. Sandia is nicely hot. Nicely hot? Mm-hmm. Now we have to forgive Nora because she's from Minnesota. 
Wisconsin. I'm sorry. <laughs> Whatever. Hey, my, my wife's from Wisconsin. <clears throat> well, that one got you. Yeah, you did. And she loves it. Mm. Wisconsin uh, or Chili's? Chili's. Mm. Ooh, that's a nice... Mm. I love them too, but I I thought I was stronger than this. I've been here <laughs> nine years. These, I've seen you eat some hot Mexican food. Pretty spicy, I gotta say. <laughs> oh, oh, there you go. Ty's mom just really just thought that ice cream. Thank you. So nice. Slippery up ice cream. Yeah. Here's some human. spoons for ice cream right here. I would like some water. I want to get some water. In okay. We also have a. We have some oh, you have, oh. green chili beer. Ooh, break one of those out. Okay. Well, that's hot. Mm. And the thing about a green chili heat, I feel like it is such a regular burn. It lingers and, and grows, is what I find. With yes. the, with the, with yeah, the green it, chili. it is growing. Like you think, oh, it's not so bad. And then, you know, it just keeps going. I, would, I just want some water at some point. I want to, but I don't mind getting it myself. You um, can't because you're tied oh to yeah, the, table. the microphone thing. Um, but the, yeah, if you would be willing, that'd be awesome. Thank you. Um, yeah, the sandy is definitely hot. Whew. This is like Pedro's salsa. If you buy that, this is the level that it is. Where I'm always like, this is a little hotter than I'm comfortable with. Yeah, but I love right, it. right, right, right. You know? Yeah, exactly. There's some. To me, it's like I love the flavor first yeah, of all. Yeah. Then the heat starts kicking in, and I start regretting it. Right. But then it's like it reaches a point of, I'm actually kind of enjoying yeah, this yeah. intensity. I feel it in my shoulder blades. I just love it. I feel, like, I feel it in my blood. All right. Doing all right, Dave? Yeah. Okay. I'm recovering. Do you ever watch yeah. that show Hot Ones on YouTube? Have you seen that? I've seen it, yeah. <laughs> this is the same idea. It's kind of a rip off of that. i got to warn you, this lumbre is supposed to be even it. hotter, so it's going to be a particular... Mike, particularly brave first. person. Yeah, yeah, I'll do it. You do it? Yeah. I like hot stuff. I don't, you know, for a while I was trying to like level up and level up, but I was getting to the point where it was like damaging me when I was eating stuff. Like I had gotten to like the habanero level where I was like, okay, I'm going to try eating these like a little bit sometimes, you know, but it was just like, I just felt sick for <laughs> days afterwards sometimes. It just felt horrible. It's one of the hottest yeah. sandias I've ever had. Is it, so it is a spicy vegetable. It's really hot. Dry yeah. ears. Maybe that's a factor. Wow. Oh, look at that. Thank you so much. <laughs> You're so nice. You're Thank you, Julie. Thank you. Although, Julie from what I understand, um, you want to go with the dairy products, right? To to cool off after after eating chili. Not not necessarily water. The heat will return when you use water, but momentarily it helps. Mm -hmm. I feel like that moment is worth it. For me, <coughs> <Okay>. <coughs> Mike, did you have some sandia? Yeah, I'm. I'm, I'm He's had the oh sandia. Yeah. Ty, are you okay? You I'm a little. Yeah, <laughs> getting a little physical. You know. My eyes are watering. The sandia. <laughs> is like, yeah. I thought that was going to be our nice medium step after the uh, 1904, which didn't have any heat at all that I could tell, and then. You should have known it was only 10 years to World War One. Mm. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Well, Mike's going to try the lumbar. I really want to see this. That sounds like a lower back thing. Where I'm sorry. It's lumbre. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's this one right here. Oh, okay. It means light. Lumbre means light. Yes. Right. You want to try that? No. No, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wait. You owe 50 books on chili peppers? And not, oh, no. Hey, I'm just a normal guy. <laughs> <laughs> He's not Superman. Okay. No. And Killing you know, this one. This one was roasted. Your ability to... Uh, take the heat has nothing to do with your uh, ethnic origin, hmm. your gender, or anything like that. It has to do with genetics. Really? Mm. Well, you, just like with um, taste buds, we are born with capsaicin receptors. All mammals have capsaicin receptors. Interesting. And so the number of capsaicin receptors you have, if you have a lot of them, <coughs> you're not, not going to be able to take the heat. If you okay. have a few of them, um, you'll be able to, um, like the woman on the YouTube video in India, squeezing um, super hot chili juice into her eyes. Oh, my oh God. God. So she was born without capsaicin receptors. Wow. <laughs> That's not fair. <laughs> and uh, there are people like that. And the, your friends oh. who can eat the super hot sauces were born with very few capsaicin receptors. 
Now, what about um, it's like super tasters and non tasters mm-hmm. um, with um, taste buds? Now, what about desensitization? Does does yeah, that, that actually occur? Or? It does occur. You you can get accustomed accustomed to it, and I'm accustomed to medium hot chilies. If you give me hot chilies, it happens like I'm doing now. <laughs> I'm hiccuping. Mm-hmm. Uh, my eyes are watering. Oh, no. And my nose is running. Yeah. Yeah. It's so, uh, and that, you know, has I, nothing I, to do with your being, you know, a tough guy or. Right. Yeah, like of course. That. Yeah. It's, it's just, uh, it's, yeah. Can it's you handle just, it genetically, physically? Yeah. All yeah. I can't How's believe that? they totally. sell that. You know, I honestly think it, it's hitting me hard, but it, I think it's um, about as spicy as, as the Sandy is. Now, here's another thing I've so, noticed with New Mexico chili. Wildly inconsistent. Huh. Yeah. Even according huh. to what it's supposed to be. Like I have certainly had chili that was considered like a medium hot that I swear was hotter. That's the environmental, factors That's the environmental wow. factor. Huh. Yeah. Um and uh it will really surprise you. Um I had some enchiladas at um uh, Abolita's restaurant in the South Valley, about mm-hmm. three miles from where I live. And the enchiladas were so hot that I asked the server if the chef had put habaneros in it. Mm-hmm. And no, no, we only use New Mexico chilies. This is just an extremely hot batch. Yeah. It wasn't supposed to be this hot. And uh, so that's what happens. Okay. And that's, you know, uh, yeah, that one of the reasons we love chilies. Is you right. never know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Mike, exactly. how are you doing? It's good. That one is definitely hot. Definitely hot, but yeah. not as hot as the San Diego? I think it's like at least equally hot. Okay. Like okay, so kind of we, on the same level, yeah. we kind of... I think you all can handle this, but it... Catapult. You know, cumulatively, when you eat hot on top of hot, you <laughs> kind of feel like expanded yeah. a little bit sometimes. I think I'm going to let my uh, my palate rest for a few minutes. I, I feel like we need to address the, um, the elephant in the room of the summer of uh, 2019, Colorado chili. Oh, yeah. Okay. I was going to ask Look at huge controversy, scandal, politics, sniping back and forth. What's the deal with that? It's um, like um, it's, it's like different parts of the United States saying that they are the chili capital of the world. Yeah. It's the same thing. Um, these uh, uh, Pueblo chilies, they're, mm-hmm. as they're called, uh, the, the variety they grow up in Pueblo was actually developed um, by Roy Nakayama at New Mexico State. Okay. He gave, he gave them... <laughs> To a friend that was growing, <laughs> <laughs> and these are Mirasol chilies. These chilies yes. have the pods that are erect rather than drooping. Interesting. Huh. And so Mirasol means looking at the sun. Mm-hmm. And so the Coloradans are ha- doing a lot, a lot of this kind of thing, saying uh, the New Mexico chilies look at the dirt, Ooh. our chilies look at the sun. Dang, that seems low. That's low. I know, but still, it's part of the whole thing. Mm -hmm. Now, I grew, uh, my friend T.J. Trout, who's now on, uh, (laughs) um, you know, KOB Radio. He was ES on 94 Rock for 25 years. He retired, got bored, accepted a job back in New Mexico, moved back to New Mexico. He's living in Cleveland. And uh, so, because of this controversy... Um, I decided that I would grow Pueblo chilies, and then we'd compare them, have a taste test. We did this last month, and um, I grew them exactly like any of the New Mexican varieties, and we tasted them on the air, and they were horrible. Oh, wow. They had virtually no flavor, had very little heat, and we couldn't understand why they were so excited about them up there, and I said, well, I have now found that I have a saline soil, so maybe maybe oh. that had something to do with it. But um, they were grown right next to the ones that we tasted, the New Mexico chilies, and the New Mexico chilies tasted normal. Huh. So, I don't know. I, that's One test does not, you know, um, prove anything. And it's impossible, as far as I can tell, to find Pueblo-grown Pueblo chili in New Mexico. Like, or we're just Pueblo-grown not gonna chili do- products. Huh. Yeah. And so I did some research. That's what I do. Mm-hmm. And I found that the total crop of um, was about, well, they only grow 700 acres. 
Really? That's yeah. tiny, right? That's yeah. a, that's a uh, crazy compared small. Compared to 10,000 that we have in New Mexico. Yeah. So you get an ad campaign based on that? That's crazy. <laughs> and they get sold all over Colorado. <laughs> it's just focused on the Pueblo area. Really? Yeah. Mm, interesting. Almost all the growers are from the Pueblo area. And they have a uh, Pueblo um, Chili and Frijoles Festival that dwarfs the Hatch Chili Festival. Really? Yeah. Hmm. So they, they got a lot of flash and fire but not so much not so much production product, production yeah. Yeah. Okay. so that hatch is a pretty small festival i went to that once i was surprised by how it's just basically like a few rides and it's a county fair yeah it's really yeah. it's really small and uh i don't mean to disparage them they don't like yeah. me anyway because i <laughs> you know, i just say there's no, there's no such thing as a hatch chili uh, that's right. all i'm saying which is true yeah um, <laughs> and uh um, roast it's as far as I'm concerned, the Colorado thing is just a bunch of hype. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And show me the products. Show me. Right. Uh, show me a jar of uh, bottled, um, you know, Pueblo chilies. I can't find it. Uh huh. Yeah. Show me. I, a, show I me a salsa, manufactured salsa, that, that has those chilies in. Probably the stuff at Trader Joe's. That stuff's weak. <laughs> Maybe. You know. They oh like, yeah, they do have that. Yeah. Bottle. Of- well, the thing is, is that there's no Hatch Valley. There is a little town of Hatch, but um, they they actually grow more alfalfa than chilies in Hatch, and so um, yes, you could you could say it was a Hatch chili, but you could also say that what we just tasted was a Los Lunas chili. Hmm. That's what I mean about the right. nomenclature being yeah. all screwed up on chilies. Interesting. Is it true that uh, the reason we say chili peppers is because of Columbus misidentifying uh, chili plants with pepper plants? That's part of it. Um, and we, we say uh, chili peppers to avoid the confusion between chili con carne. Oh. oh. And oh, so oh. it's redundant to say chili pepper, because, but you're also using a Spanish word and an English word um, as a phrase. Oh, interesting. So chili interesting. being Spanish and pepper being English. Interesting. Uh, uh, and people say, well, that's redundant. Well, yeah, but it's also very descriptive mm-hmm. um, and specific. Huh. So, because pepper also means black pepper, right? you're now right. saying this is a, <laughs> not a spice, it's a food. Yeah. Oh. It's a food that's sometimes used as a spice when it's dried and ground into a powder. It's amazing. But in reality, it's a food. Right. Because it, and especially in the green form, and the red it's form fruit. too. It's actually, it's actually more of a food than it is a spice. Yeah, it's got it's a very it's meaty. A, yeah. Yeah. So. Um, I love it in every form. Now, would you care for one of these green chili beers? I've had that kind of green chili beer, and I don't like it. Okay. Well. <laughs> so, I'm not uh, tasting sorry. the green chili. Well, I certainly am not after eating some green yeah, chili. Yeah, maybe and I'm that's thinking it. that's the issue here. Is it tastes very pilsnery. Um. It it does not stand up to uh, the sandia that we had. It, whatever whatever chili flavor was in there has been just completely overwhelmed by uh, the chili, the actual chili that we ate. Well, Maybe as I said, it. I've never seen a uh, mediocre, mediocre beer that was improved by chilies. <laughs> uh, the only um, beer that I've ever had that I liked with chili in it was one I brewed myself. That was a very dark beer oh, with okay. green chili. Did you share that around? I, I did. That, yeah, that was really good, I was I really happy with it. Um, but the only ones that I ever see for sale are light beers with yeah, chili, and I right. feel like that's a mistake. Um, um, would you talk a little bit about the difference between green and red chili? It's the same chili, right? Yes. Um, uh, it's just a mature. I get it. It's a mature. <laughs> it's, 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 a, it's a fruit that matures red, and we're eating it in the immature form with green chili. But it loses its heat, right? No, when it gains it, heat. It gains oh, heat? Oh, what? It's, it's, it's more mature. Why? Wow. I feel like red chili, you know, when you ask for red at Garcia's or whatever, is less hot than the it, that's green. Just, that's just another one of those things that you, you don't know where it was grown. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't know exactly what variety of the chili turned red. Oh. I mean, if you if you asked for um, a red chili sauce made with sandia, you can imagine what that would be like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, oh, thank you. <laughs> uh, in this particular case, it's a, it's a situation where um, you don't know um, the origin or the variety, and so it's really hard to say that green or red oh. is hotter than the other. Um, Generally speaking, if, if you're talking about, say, say a big gym chili that turns red would be a little hotter than one that was green. 
Okay. Just because it's more mature. Um, also, um, most of the red chili comes from dehydrated material, and so you don't have the water that's right. in the oh. it's in the fruit mm -hmm. to dilute any of the heat. So. Um, that, that's another reason mm. why red would be hotter if you're talking about just the same varieties side right. by side mm -hmm. in the garden. Um, and the red is, my favorite is what what's right there is that, you know, roasted and peeled fresh red. Rats, I yes. like, and the first time I ever made a sauce from it, it was so delicious that I sat down and ate it like a soup. Wow. Wow. Awesome. And uh, it was, it was, not a, <laughs> not a very hot red chili, right? Mm -hmm. And so it made a perfect soup. I like to do that too. That's so good. And uh, yeah. So where does where does Chimayo fit into the like? A, is there is it a Chimayo variety of uh, of red, or is it a is it simply something that's grown in Chimayo? Like uh, I have here a Chimayo <clears throat> blend. It says Chimayo did a smart thing, and they got a group of farmers together, and they applied for a plant patent. Aha. Uh -huh. um, and they received it. And so because of that plant, pat, plant patent, uh, no other uh, m manufacturers of, of chili products can use the word Chimayo okay. unless the people in Chimayo approve it. Mm -hmm. uh, it had to be grown within the bounds of Chimayo. So it's not a different type of chili. It's just something that's grown it, in Chimayo. It's New Mexico. It's it's would be the same thing as the difference between say a big Jim and a sandia. Okay. Um, it's it's a hotter variety of chili that's not sold green. Mm -hmm. It's only matured toward to, to red and ground into a powder. Mm -hmm. Maybe there there is one sauce that uses it now. Huh. Called Simayo. T S I M A Y O. Yeah. It's okay. the first oh, New Mexico first New Mexico hot sauce. Um, this is really manageable. This, the, the red, red stuff? Yeah. Right. Oh, really? It's not hot. There we go. It worked. Um, and you're eating what would be the mildest part of the chili, which is the, mm. the what they call the blossom end. It's super sweet. Blossom. Pretty. Compared to the other yes, stuff we've Yes, and that's oh, why really? I liked it in the soup, I think. Yeah, that's really good. Like, Again, we don't know the variety here because it was not labeled at the store, and I forgot to ask at the um, at the cashier's whether it was a particular variety, like what variety it was. Right. So, but boy, that's good. I love it, actually. That, yeah. I feel like I could happily. This. I could eat a whole one of those, I think. Right. I think. Well, you could take those and uh, uh, put them in the blender, put them in a pot, heat them up, and make a good soup or a sauce. That's okay. Very good. I'm going to try this uh, lumbre now. Oh, nice. Oh, nice. Ty. Good for you, I'm, Ty. I'm brave I'm now. You. I've uh, finally oh, yeah. kind of come back around. Yeah. We're supposed to suffer a little bit. That's the idea. Well, I think show. that's There's the no idea. There's no more ice. <laughs> now, uh, Dave, I saw that you were on a Mythbusters episode. What, uh, what myth were you busting? Uh, the cool-down factor myth. Okay. And they were, they were going to see whether or not dairy products really did um, cut the heat of chili peppers. And do they? Yes. All so, right. And I feel like we... And the we, thicker, the better. I mean, milk is, you know, 2% milk is 98% water. Uh-oh. Uh -huh. So um, we're talking about ice cream like this. Yeah. Um, we're talking about... Um, half and half. <laughs> half and half would be better. Um, uh, we're also talking about cream. Oh, yeah. And uh, uh, yogurt. Mm. Now... A red's barely, barely spicy at all. It's, yeah. It's sweet. All right, Man. I'm going to try this. Oh, Ty, that's such a huge bite. Mm. Live life to the fullest. <laughs> okay. Um. I have a question about... Oh, or do you Go ahead. Yeah, okay. I was, was going to say, this As is hardly hot it. at all right now. Maybe uh. we just had a really hot... This one was really hot. Is, that was, I think that's the one that hurt the most, honestly. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's that one, yeah. Should we just keep eating this stuff? Like, and see if we Oh, be, you have the... Um, powers? This is theoretically the lumbre, lumbre. at this point. Uh, but it's hardly hot. I kind of want to keep eating these, but go right ahead. Probably wrap up. But yeah. thank you thank so you much up for uh, we got to the other yeah, spicier stuff. I like yeah, <laughs> I uh, really appreciate you coming. Yeah, and, uh, thank you for sharing your knowledge. Your knowledge so, is when rad. is the uh, Fiery Foods Festival happening? Um, it's February 28th through March 1. Okay, and that's here at in Albuquerque at it's the Sandia Convention Resort Center. Oh, at the Sandia Resort okay. and Casino. Right. Okay, right. All right. We've been there for 13 years now. Oh, okay. 
cool. And you've got a book coming out. Uh, when was that happening? Uh, about a year from now, maybe maybe August of 2020. All right. Um, and that's from uh, University of New Mexico Press, and it's, and it's called Chili Peppers: A World History. Okay. I can't Great. wait to get that. It has recipes in it too, but recipes are. I, I, I'm not trying to make a cookbook here. I'm just yeah. trying to use the recipe as an Ooh. historical, as a con- yeah, yeah context, yeah. yeah, the right kind of context. So they're That's pretty cool. much classic recipes, traditional recipes All from right. around the world. Sounds fascinating. Well, thank you again so yeah. much. Okay. Thank and, you. Uh, I'll speak to you again sometime soon. I hope. Yeah, uh, well, yeah. But don't you go away because now we have an interview with the good people at Modern Albuquerque and Basement Films about an event happening this Saturday, October 19th, at the main library called Home Movie Day. Okay, and joining me today is Ethan Aronson and, not currently mic'd, Thea Haver with Modern Albuquerque, and Beth Hansen, Vice President of Basement Films. Welcome, you guys. Thank you for having us. (laughs) Yeah. So we are talking about an upcoming event that you guys are collaborating on. Uh, It's called Home Movie Day. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So what's going on with that? Well, uh, it's an international. It's happening all over the world on October 19th is the day. And it's the Center for Home Movies that is sort of the organization that started this. And the idea is for people to get that old amateur 8, Super 8, 16-millimeter film that they might have lying around uh, from their families or that they've inherited, and instead of just letting that sit in the closet, to actually get it out and show it. So people who have a little old home movies at home, home which I guess is a good place to do it, (laughs) they could just take it out, drag it out, bring it to where? It's going to be at the Albuquerque Main Public Library, Fifth okay. and Copper, and that's October nineteenth, nineteenth at eleven a.m. Mm-hmm. Um, and what will happen when they when they bring it there? Well, Beth can probably go into the process a little better than I can. Okay. So they're going to drop off the film, and then we're going to hand it over to our partners at Basement Films. So yeah, Basement Films. We have a collection of um, a lot of analog film technologies. So we have the projectors the film rewinds some film film viewers so we can take that film and show it because um, often we'll bring it through events and we'll bring out our equipment and people are like, oh, I have a bunch of films in my home, but I don't have a projector. And so we are the people with the projectors. And so people can see the films maybe they haven't been able to see before. Yeah. The ones that have been languishing away in the attic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, it, and it's not just, um, and it's not just a matter of uh, bringing your own home movies. If you're just curious about what kind of hidden treasures other people have found, you can come and there will be showings throughout the day? Yes, that's right. We're going to be, so what we're going to do is the people who do have film are going to sign a little waiver uh, when they give it to us, essentially saying that we do have trained professionals who are going to do their best with the film, and we don't anticipate anything's going to happen, but it could be film that's 70 years old or more. And so the first thing that we're going to do is look at what state it's in and if it's even playable. Unfortunately, there's sometimes film gets uh, vinegar syndrome. Again, Beth can probably talk about this a little better than I am, but it gets to a point where it's not, it can't mm-hmm. be played for various reasons. It can't be projected. So if that's the case, then we'll hand it back to whoever brought it in. If it can be played, uh, if it can be projected, then we're going to put it in and into basement films, projectors, and have it for people to see uh, in their theater there at the at library. the library's theater. Yeah. So throughout the day, there'll be these home movies being projected. And of course, people are welcome to come in and just watch other people's movies as well. It's going to be this wonderful little cinematic exploration for all of us. Uh, what sort of things do you anticipate uh, seeing? Birthday parties, <laughs> Christmas, the beach, Disneyland, parades. I don't, these are like a lot of common things that we see in home movies, at least in our home movie collection at Basement Films. Um, what other common things? I'm really yeah, excited mm-hmm. about seeing little glimpses of Albuquerque from the 50s, 60s, and 70s, mm-hmm. or just any kind of local region films. Um, I love just seeing old architecture and old, you know, yeah, interior yeah. design. And <laughs> I mean, w- one of the ways this started is. Um, Lucky, my family has about four and a half hours of film uh, that my grandfather shot from the 40s through the early 60s. Mm-hmm. 
and we did get that digitized on a DVD. We still have it, and so we've been watching it, uh, both for uh, modern Albuquerque, looking for what did Albuquerque look like back then, and yeah, there's a, an Aunt Ethel standing there, but what building is Aunt Ethel standing in front of? And seeing that, or even my own neighborhood, uh, where we found that the house next door to the one I grew up in used to be very modernist. Mm. Didn't know that, but it's been remodeled a lot, so there are things like that. But as Beth said, uh, birthday parties, um, parade, we've got a great one, a UNM homecoming parade with a lucky strike float, which oh, is just one great. of those things you wouldn't see anymore. Not, not so much. Yeah, no. different <laughs> For time. For any number of reasons. Different really. time, yeah. Now, so it sounds like you have some from your own collections that you will be showing in addition to ones that people bring in? Yes, yes. Of course, with this, this is the first home movie day that's happened in Albuquerque in many years. And so we don't really know how many films we're going to get, what kind of interest we're going to get. We hope it's a lot. But we do have to sort of put into the program Wall Basement Films is working on getting other people's films ready to play. We have this film that's sort of ready to go. Uh, from my family's collection. Also, the Albuquerque Museum is going to be there with some uh, home home movies from their collection oh, to show as well. And also, we have a kind of minor selection from Basement Films of home movies that have been donated over the years. So a lot of just Super 8 and regular 8 that we've never wa- even watched. So we're excited oh, really? to bring those out too. So it'll be new for you as well. Yeah, all this is going to be new. <laughs> well, very cool. Um, will there be any speakers or anything as well? Or is it like a uh, mainly about the movies? Well, Roland uh, Pentilla, who's been on your show. Our pal. Yeah, uh, yeah your pal. He wow. will be there and will hopefully be providing some narration and historical context as he's able to for this for these films. Of course, since we really have no idea what we're going to be seeing, how much of that we'll be able to do is, is going to be entirely up to him and his rhetorical abilities. So there's a few wild cards in there. And definitely. So I feel like we have uh, kind of a, a new Albuquerque organization and an and a Albuquerque organization that's uh, been around for a while. Um, I'd like to talk just a little bit about what, what Basement Films and Modern Albuquerque does, what, what you guys are. So uh, Beth, tell me a little bit about Basement Films. How long have you been around? Um, so Basement Films has been around since 1991 as an organization in Albuquerque. I've been involved for maybe the last nine years. Um, so it's kind of a, it's a nonprofit. It's also a kind of a collective of artists and film nerds. Um, we, we do a lot of different things. We have, um, a big archive of analog films. We have about 8,000 super eight, regular eight and 16 millimeter films in our archive, um, along with a bunch of other analog, um, delivery systems mm-hmm. like projectors and viewers and slide, slideshow carousels and stuff like that. Um, and we are also... Those- well, just real oh, quick, no, are those right. mainly like home movies or are they also different kinds of films? Um, so the majority of them are educational films. Mm. So we have lots of kind of industrial educational short films, like ranging from like five to 20 minutes. Um, the majority of our collection is actually from the Albuquerque public school system. So if you went to school in Albuquerque in the 70s or 80s, where we have the films that you watched in science class or whatever. Um, and we also have a religious film collection. Um a collection from the South Broadway Cultural Center when they got rid of that collection, home movies, random, random stuff. Oh, okay. Some features, some short cartoons and stuff. And you do events throughout the year? We do. So we'll do some screenings of just films from our collection. We have um, an international experimental film festival every April called Experiments in Cinema. That's like our biggest production. And then we do just kind of various... Um, I don't know, touring filmmakers come show stuff. We put on programs of local artists and films from our archive. And we do educational workshops with kids and artists. Excellent. So lots of different stuff. And on the other end of the, uh, the spectrum, Modern Albuquerque, you guys got your start last year, I believe you said? Yeah, we're a brand new organization. And we- this, is, uh, this is Beth, who has not, I'm sorry, this Hello. is Thea, <laughs> who has not spoken before, um, the director of Modern yes. Albuquerque. Go ahead. So we got our start last summer, and we've been in operation for just over a year now. Modern Albuquerque is focused on Albuquerque's mid-century modern history. So we focus on the mo- modernist architecture that is still here, as well as things that are not still here in Albuquerque, things like the Civic Auditorium, which we've been actually lucky to find some home movie footage of. And so even though it was demolished 33 years ago, we're able to kind of look back through time through these incredible resources that are the home movies of uh, 
you know, just languishing in private collections that we, we otherwise wouldn't have known about. Now, what are some other examples of modernist uh, or Albuquerque buildings? Well, let's see. A lot of our, our listeners are probably going to know the giant tower that stands at the corner of San Mateo and Central Avenue that yes. opened as the first National Bank Tower East. Of course, now it's just that big building that used to be a bank. It doesn't have a name anymore. That's one of our great monument, um, kind of monumental modernist landmarks here in Albuquerque. Um, but actually, the main library where we're hosting this event is also a fantastic example of brutalist architecture mm -hmm. here in Albuquerque. And that would, would have been designed by George Pearl of the firm uh, Stevens, Mallory, Pearl, and Campbell. And that firm is still around today as SMPC Architects. All right. And so, real quick, what is the difference between brutalist and modernist? Brutalism is actually just a subset of modern architecture. Um, when you talk about modernist design, there's going to be several different subtypes of that. And each one of those subtypes has sort of different visual cues that are associated with it. And so, something like the the main library would visually look different and have a different approach um, than something like the First National Bank Tower East. And so it's going to be a change in materials, a change in how the windows are placed. It's going to be a change in how the massing of the building is. It's a little nerdy. Okay. And what, what sort of things do you do um, to promote modernist Albuquerque? We host a walking tour um, currently on Central Avenue um, through our tour division called Retrograde Tours. Our tour is called Hairpin Legs, and that sort of provides the introduction to Albuquerque's modernist history. We also put out a monthly newsletter, which you can sign up for on our website, www.modernabq.org, and we're on Instagram. We're constantly out there taking photos and trying to research a lot of the buildings that are still here in Albuquerque so that we can tell their story and provide a different perspective. Albuquerque is actually a very modern city. A lot of what we know of what's here actually came up in the 1950s, 60s, and 70s or later. Um, and so we, we're always trying to get people to rethink what Albuquerque is as a city and explore some of these untapped resources that are out there. Very good. Okay. And uh, Basement Films, if people are interested in finding out more information, do you guys have a, a website? Or? We have a website. We have an Instagram. Um, we're on Facebook and we have a mailing list that maybe you can sign up through website contact us through our email okay what is your website www.basementfilms.org all right easy enough yeah. okay <laughs> well um thank you all of you guys for uh for coming on the show and tell us about this event coming up on october 19th at 11 a.m at the downtown library on copper and uh what is it fifth street and um, this event is free to the public. Free to the public, yes. even better. Uh, bring your home movies or just come and watch other people's home movies, and it's going through 4.30, is that right? Yes, we'll be accepting the last films at 4.30. Okay, but the event itself will continue past that? Films permitting, yes. Okay, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and uh, yeah, thank you guys so much for coming on, and um, I feel like we could probably talk a lot more about both of these organizations in the future, so maybe we will. Be wonderful. All right. Good talking to you. Thank you. And don't forget that on Saturday, November 23rd, we are going to be showing Lash of the Penitentes at the Guild Cinema, so mark your calendars for that. Patrons will get in free. And what is a patron? Why, that's somebody who has donated to City on the Edge's Patreon account. Uh, which is a way that you can support what we do um, through a, a monthly payment for as little as $1. Uh, you also have access to different swag like t-shirts and so forth. And you can go to patreon.com slash city on the edge and, uh, and become one of our, our very valued uh, contributors. Um, and Speaking of valued contributors, I just wanted to take a quick moment to thank uh, thank those of you who have been uh, been with us for a while now. Um, we've got Amy Gabe, Amy Nevitt, who actually I think is uh, is fairly new. April, Ash McCauley, Azane, Ben Tucker, Christopher Holden, Christopher Suski, Courtney Fitzgerald, Farrell Smith, Javier Darwin, Isaac Clark, Jean-Yves Bart, Jen Panhorst. Uh, Jesse Crawford, Jim Robillard, Julie Bannerman, Kelsey uh, Tietchen, Lando Enchantment, Natasha Chisdes, Neil, Nick Sidios, Nicole Finch, uh, Rachel Langer, Roland Pentela, Ryan Schiff, uh, Sandra Dodd, 
And I believe that's uh, that's it at this point. So thank you guys so much, as always. And if you'd like to uh, help us out in this way, then patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash city on the edge.